You are now tuned in to the December 26er podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er fam. Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and we are back with another interview. This week's guest is Greg Bishop, Commissioner of New York City Small Business Services. Now, if you are a New Yorker, this interview is going to be incredibly beneficial to you because Commissioner Bishop talks a lot about the resources available to small business owners and those who are considering starting on the entrepreneurial journey. But if you're not a local resident, be not dismayed because there is a lot of motivation and inspiration in this interview as well. Commissioner Bishop talks a lot about his own personal journey from being laid off to landing on the campus of Florida A&M University at the age of 27 and also making the transition from private sector to government. Now, before we get into it, I want to drop the social media handles for New York City Small Business Services so you can follow all of the amazing work that Commissioner Bishop and his entire team are doing in the city of New York. If you are on Twitter, you can find them at NYC underscore SBS. That's short for Small Business Services. On Instagram at NYC Small Biz and on Facebook at NYC Business. Now, without further ado, please take a listen and I hope you enjoy. Greg Bishop, welcome to the December 26er podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to meet with me and chat for a bit. So first and foremost, we start every interview the same way with the same question. Who is Greg Bishop? Who is Greg Bishop? Um, well, officially, I'm the commissioner for the Department of Small Business Services. Um, but who am I? I'm just a immigrant who has a lot of success and uh, feel very humbled to be in this position right now. Um, grew up in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, and uh, certainly have a lot of stories to tell, uh, but happy to be here. Well, I hope we get into a couple of those stories yeah. today. But we all know you as the commissioner of New York City Small Business Services, but I know that you started your career at Vibe. Right. So how does one make the jump from brand development to workforce and economic development? Um, that is a great question. And it, it's, uh, it wasn't planned at all. Uh, I think, you know, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people about this. It's really when you're operating in your passion and your mm-hmm. purpose, uh, these things happen. Uh, so I actually started my career in media, but really focused on technology because I was a geek in high school. I love tech and uh, tried to figure out this whole worldwide web thing and uh, this thing called, um, you know, the web and uh, the fact that we were now displaying pictures through HTML and and programming pages. And I really wanted to figure out how to do that. Uh, So I taught myself how to code. um, And that turned into a job opportunity at Vibe. Literally, the story is, and I tell this all the time, is I was stealing pictures from the magazine (laughs) to do my website. (laughs) And they found out. Um, And of course, as every corporation will do, they sent me the cease and desist desist. from their attorneys. Um, But the second paragraph was, we kind of like what you did. Why don't you come in and talk to us? Um, So... uh, that was my opportunity to uh, start as an intern um, at the company, and they gave me that opportunity, and, and certainly um, that turned into a full-time job. And then I moved from different media companies, mm-hmm. um, doing the same thing, sort of, uh, first it was sort of designing web pages, and then it turned into infrastructure, uh, so building out the internal and external networks. Um, and then it turned into really, you know, building out, like, web farms mm-hmm. um, in general. So um, I actually left the industry because of September 11th, I got laid off. 
Okay. Um, so there's a lot of what I talk about, you know, uh, finding your passion and purpose. There's a lot of um, failures and, you know, I dropped out of college when I was working full time. Wow. Uh, so there's, you know, I'm here, but, you know, there's a story behind it. You know, that that image that you usually see where there's the iceberg and it's like success at the top, mm-hmm. but then you don't see all the stuff in the bottom. So I, that resonates with me because that's, you know, that's sort of like my life. So let's talk about that because this leads right into the next question, right? For a lot of us, we get through high school, we make it the decision, I'm interested in these colleges, we apply, we get in, we go, we find a job. Right. And then the career sort of, you know, right. trucks along and hopefully at an upward trajectory. That's the American dream. Yes. Right. Your story is not a linear one. So right. what happened that you ended up dropping out of college and how did you get back on track? There's a lot of people like me out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what we do here at, at SBS, which is why, like, I'm so passionate about the work that mm-hmm. we do. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of mentors in my life. Um, so so that's part of it. Um, to, you know, when you have a skill set that's in demand, um, you actually can build a really good career. Um, and that's certainly one of the things I talk about a lot. Um, there's a lot of young people who you know, college is not for them. And it's just a fact of the matter. Um, I ended up going back to college at a later age. Mm -hmm. I was a non-traditional student, uh, not only because, you know, I felt it was the right time, but I had also mentors who said, you know, you really do need to get that degree uh, because I would not be sitting in front of you if I did not have my degree um, from not only Florida A&M, but Florida State. Um, So certainly, you know, I always encourage young people, especially that if college is not for you, because I was the one that applied to one college. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom was not, you know, she got her associate's degree, but wasn't really used to the the, the education system up here and the fact you have to apply to multiple colleges, et cetera. Uh, so I applied to one college and got, you know, denied. And that was the end of the mm-hmm. world for me. Um, but picked myself up and decided, all right, I'll go to, go to community college. And I transferred to um, Brooklyn College. And that's where I started learning coding and was wow. in a lab. And that's how everything happened. Uh, so everything happens for a reason. I, I always believe. And certainly, um, you know, it's never too late uh, for anyone. Um, And certainly, you know, it doesn't, you know, there are a lot of successful people who actually don't have college degrees. Um, But, you know, what I always say is that if you want to avoid glass ceilings, you do need to get that degree. Um, So, you know, I ended up going back to school at 27. Wow. Um, So imagining a 27 year old in freshman English 101. With the 18 year olds. olds. Um, uh, But it was a great opportunity because I went to a historically black college university. Um, and I was actually having a conversation earlier with one of the staff members who's about to leave to go to Howard Law. And it's so important. HBCUs are so important mm-hmm. um, for creating opportunities because I would not have been accepted to traditional uh, schools based on my GPA, but Florida a m actually made an exception. Um, and because of that exception, I got the opportunity to not only get a bachelor's, but then I got my master's from Florida State. Um, and when I was looking to return back into, um, you know, the world, the sort of not, you know, going back into, um, you know, the workforce, I was like, well, what do I want to do? And I realized I'm tired of working for the private sector. I want to actually mm-hmm. do something more meaningful. That's how I ended up in workforce. Um, and it, it literally, um, you know, we could talk about this all day in terms of how important networks are and how important mm-hmm. networking is and how important it is to stay connected and build those power circles. The person who ran the nonprofit that I worked with was the wife of one of the investors of one of the companies that I worked for when I was wow. in tech. Right. And because I stayed in touch with everyone, that's how I ended up in the nonprofit sector doing what? Running a workforce program for young people who didn't go to college 
but needed to build a skill set so we could find them jobs, which was in line with exactly my career path. Uh, so certainly, you know, I was operating, I think, in my purpose and my passion because I was very focused on helping other people like myself who did not have the opportunity to go to college to mm-hmm. actually have a meaningful career. And it's very easy to transition from the nonprofit sector to government because I went to the city and said, hey, I have all these young people. I need you to help them find jobs. Right. And that's how I got connected to small business services. So let me back up a little bit. (laughs) Because so you worked in tech. We all know tech is sexy. right? People love being able to say they work in tech and media, particularly in Silicon Alley, you know, in New York. You went away to school. Shout out to FAMU and HBCUs in general, uh, because I think sometimes we're in the, you know, they're in the news for just when bad things happen, when money goes disappearing. But they do offer a, a community and support, which I did not have. But I went to... PWI, but that's neither here nor there, right? So you you get out. Now, let's talk about tech and the money that comes with tech and all those other things, because passion is one thing, but making a decision that could affect your salary, was that a consideration and did that ever give you pause? It it gave me pause Mm -hmm. a couple of times. Um, I think, you know, uh, and this is where, you know, working in the private sector, you have to understand like what you're getting Mm -hmm. into, right? And I I was at a stage in my life where I just, I was just tired of enriching shareholders. Mm -hmm. I was tired of, you know, working uh, for other people. Like I wanted to make sure that what, if I was going to work really hard and leave the office at eight, nine o'clock at night, it was going to be because I was helping someone. Sure. Right. And I made that decision. And certainly, you know, the nonprofit sector, even government, you know, yes, it's not the level of pay that you're going to get in a private sector, Mm -hmm. uh, but the rewards are so great. I mean, they're, they're, young people who up to this day still, you know, keep in touch with me because they were able to get a job in technology Mm -hmm. at a firm. They did really well. And now, you know, they have a family, they're supporting a family, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, they, they, you know, they sort of credit me and it's not really me. It's really Mm -hmm. them. Right. All I did was just create an opportunity for them and they just shined. Um, It's the same thing here. You know, at Small Business Services, we have multiple ways of helping individuals from not only helping them find jobs, Mm -hmm. uh, but helping businesses grow. And over the, you know, October is going to be 10 years since I've been with the agency. Over that time, I could tell you so many stories about businesses that have gotten certified, won contracts, that hired people, uh, people who have come to our trainings and have actually gotten, you know, jobs, um, you know, neighborhoods that we've made investments in. And we've, they're now able to, you know, not only uh, brand those neighborhoods, but also attract new businesses to those neighborhoods. Um, So certainly, you know, there's a feeling that you get when you're able to, you know, sort of connect New Yorkers to opportunities mm-hmm. um, and services. And that's one of one of the things that I'm very focused on he- here is really, you know, there are individuals just like myself who through no fault of their own, either environment or, you know, the household, uh, they're like three or four steps behind. Right. Right. So everyone will, everyone can be successful mm-hmm. and it, it's only a matter of time, right? It's, it's So for you, it might have taken you four steps to be successful. Uh, for someone else, it could take them eight steps or 10 steps. And our job is to actually help the others uh, sure. when we get to a point of success to turn around and actually help the others actually takes so the remaining steps um, to guide them through that. Uh, so so that's why I made that decision. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it's, it's you know, the private sector is great. Um, there are people who are doing really wonderful things and um, we actually work a lot with the private sector. A lot of our programs are funded in part uh, because of the, you know, private public partnerships. Sure. Um, but certainly, you know, for you have to really think uh, as you're building a career, you know, where am I going to make the most impact? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you wake up in the morning and you're not happy, then you're probably not 
operating in your passion and your purpose. That's a good nugget. <laughs> I know a lot of people who are making a lot of money who are miserable in the process. I mean, and it's, it's, and I think at that point in time, you probably have to figure out and you could figure out different ways. So for mm-hmm. example, like you could stay in the private sector and make a lot of money, but you know, sit on a board. Right. right? And that's how you channel and that's how you find your purpose. And you then may end up saying, you know what, I'm tired of the private sector. I've made enough money. You know, right. I'm going to actually dedicate my life to this, this cause or this, this organization. Um, so there's ways you can balance out your life. Right. And I mean, I know just speaking to you, SBS specifically, you're in this, you're not balancing, you're doing it right. But I know you didn't waltz into SBS into this big, beautiful office no. and become commissioner. So can you talk a little bit about your journey once you got into government? So this is the thing about radios, but, you know, it's, <laughs> the office is, it's a nice office. It is a nice office. Let's, you know, for New York standards, the size of this office alone Yeah, I know, it's the size of my apartment. <laughs> No, I'm joking. <laughs> For those who are like in uh, studio apartments, you know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, but this is a holdover. Actually, there was an insurance company that was here before. Mm-hmm. But yes, so the, the believe it or not, when I was first approached, um, it was actually in the Bloomberg administration okay. um, to join SBS. Um, the deputy commissioner at the time was sort of like, hey, have you ever thought about working for the city? I said, absolutely not. Because um, <laughs> government has a bad reputation Absolutely. and stereotype. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the reasons why I love, you know, doing shows like these and mm-hmm. um, talking about what we do is to show that there are some really hardworking people in government who are have made the I think the ultimate sacrifice to give back. You know, we're called public servants for a reason. Mm-hmm. And when you think of the word servant, we're serving the people of New York City right. uh, and we're helping the people of New York City um, and we're making a difference in the, in the city. So when I got here, it was only supposed to be for a year because it was only supposed to be um, uh, the two terms uh, for Bloomberg. And of course, we know what happened. He ran for three terms. I ended up getting five years here. Um, and I talk about this in terms of of taking risks. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, you know, we stagnate our careers because of fear and because we're afraid to step out. Um, and when I first got here, the question was, why do you want to join administration at the end? I said, well, if I only get one year, that's one year of experience that I would not have had. Um, so um, my job was to help minority women-owned businesses get mm-hmm. certified and build opportunities with different agencies. And I just ran with it. Um, and certainly, you know, when you're excited about your work, you want to do more. Um, so I wanted to do more. I wanted to go out into the community. I wanted to talk more about the agency as a whole mm-hmm. uh, because we have so many services. You know, you want to connect the dots. So it wasn't just about the Minority Women Business Enterprise Program. It was about helping navigate, you know, different agencies, helping connect you to capital, help connect you to different workshops, help recruit. Um, employees. So I was able to talk about all the different programs. And certainly I had, um, you know, what I call champions here at the Mm -hmm. agency. The commissioner at the time, uh, Robert Walsh, uh, invested in me professional development and was able to send me uh, to different programs. So I was put on a track, a leadership track. um, And certainly when opportunities opened up, I jumped on it. Um, Literally, you know, I could have a conversation about, you know, when you make certain career decisions. So I literally went from managing 20 people to move to a larger division managing two. Wow. Some people may think that was, you know, demotion, but I just saw it as an opportunity to learn more in a larger division. Mm -hmm. And literally three months later, I got promoted to deputy commissioner. 
commissioner. So had I not made that switch from one division to another, thinking like, you know, oh, I'm going to lose the stature of having right. such a large team, I would not have had the opportunity to be promoted to deputy commissioner. So there's a lot of sort of career advice I could actually give people based on my trajectory, mm -hmm. uh, which is some of the things that I, I'm doing here. Right. So I, I started and instituted a mentorship program um, for senior staff and, and some of the um, the staff who have starting their career in government. Um, you know, I speak a lot at different um, city events to mm -hmm. just talk about, you know, how do you actually grow your career? Um, so it certainly has been hard work, um, you know, and, and part of the reason why I don't feel like it's hard work is mm -hmm. because you enjoy it. You know, my typical day is literally actually today I started off, we kicked off a, a new program for media and entertainment companies. Nice. Um, at uh, In uh, Dumbo at the media center with our partner, the mayor's office of media and entertainment. Um, so that, you know, it was early morning and we have a town hall with the mayor in, in uh, Flatbush um, this evening. So I'm probably not going to get home until 11 p.m. Mm -hmm. But it's just a regular day for me. And people know? think government jobs, 459. You're See, out the door. that's the stereotype. <laughs> I literally had a friend who worked at Goldman. And I remember one evening I was at my desk. I think it was like quarter to seven. Mm -hmm. And she was like, what are you doing at work? Don't you guys leave? And I was like, listen, that's government of old. Um, there are so many, you know, we have obviously New York City, eight and a half, 8.6 million people. Uh, and our, our workforce, um, you know, we're about our, our budget is about eight eighty something billion dollars in B. terms of with a B mm -hmm. to run the city. Goods and services alone is like thirteen billion dollars, wow. which is why the Minority and Women Business Enterprise Program is so important because we're trying to get a certain percentage of that billions to small businesses. Uh, but we have the largest workforce. The Department of Employment has the most employees. You know, but there's all these people are really working hard. Um, and certainly, you know, the old stereotype of, you know, because I, I know it. Mm -hmm. I, I thought about it. You know, you think about DMV and you think about the experience you had, you stand in the wrong right. line and somebody, by the time you get to the front, they're like, you're in the wrong line. <laughs> it points you to the back, yes, right? And they don't yeah. really, you know, but that's, that's government of all. Like really and truly New York City has one of the best, um, New York City government has one of the best employees, um, hardworking individuals uh, who really care about the city. And, and that's what makes the city so great. Awesome. So since you re referenced MWBE, I want to jump there because the statistics show that there are notable disparities when it comes to capital access mm -hmm. for minorities yep. and others. So yep. why do you think that is? There's a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so uh, we did a study. Um, for, we launched a program called we.nyc. So it's womenentrepreneurs.nyc. Mm -hmm. So we.nyc. Um, and um, similar to, you know, black, Hispanic, when we talk about minorities, um, access to capital is an issue mm -hmm. uh, for women entrepreneurs, for black entrepreneurs, for Hispanic entrepreneurs, um, Latino, Latina. Um, and there's a there's a couple of reasons. One, you know, it's some, especially when you look at, you know, black, Hispanic, we're not coming from privilege. So right. we sort of have to self-fund our um, our businesses. Um, and in some cases, we start off with that credit card. Mm -hmm. um, and in other cases, you know, we may have had like, you know, issues in general just um, getting the capital that you need to live. Um, so you're starting a, a, at a, at a, at a uh, sort of a deficit in terms of credit. Um, 
You've, you also have, you know, banks who behaved inappropriately in the past. Sure. Um, and, you know, there was a lack of capital in certain communities. Um, and I'm specifically talking about redlining. Um, and that was addressed through the Community Reinvestment Act, um, which the federal government sort of forced banks to invest into low to moderate income areas. Um, so there's there's history. Historically, um, as when you look at different cultures and different peoples, um, you know, they're starting. Remember when I talked about if that line of success right. if it takes you five steps, they're starting 10 steps back. Um, some of it is education. Right. Um, so one of the things we try to do is make sure people understand the true cost of capital. Mm-hmm. So it's very easy to go online, do a search for, you know, business loan. Um, and you're going to see a whole bunch of, <laughs> of sites course. pop up and you, they're going to say we can have you. We can have the money in like three days, four no days. Right? No documentation loans. No documentation needed, et cetera, et cetera. But by the time you actually take that capital um, and you sign the terms, you're talking about APR about 40, 40%, 45%, right. 50%. You literally, it is the worst thing that you can do as an entrepreneur is to get those type of loans. So what we try to do is we try to be the middle person mm-hmm. um, and we try to connect entrepreneurs to capital because that, you know, the biggest challenge that small businesses have, and this is across the board, but it's particularly acute with black, Hispanic and women entrepreneurs, access to capital, then it's the workforce, like recruiting the right people. Right. Um, and then in New York, then you start talking about if you're brick and mortar, then there's just a cost of actually doing, um, you know, either rent, etc. Um, so we certainly try to provide uh, opportunities with access to capital. So we have a network of like 40 lenders. Mm -hmm. Last year we did, I think, north of $40 million. Um, And we can do loans from, you know, $500 to like $1.3 million. We just closed on a bakery um, in in Queens. Nice. Um, So we have the expertise. If you don't have the credit, then we work with a partner at uh, Department of Consumer Affairs with the Office of Financial Empowerment to help you repair your credit to get you to the point where you actually can then start getting loans. And our job is really to get you most of the company, most of the lenders that we use is uh, CDFIs. And I'm getting sort of technical, but mm-hmm. those are community development financial institutions. They're not like your traditional banks. They're the ones that the banks have taken their money and said, OK, we're going to give you like a million dollars, invest this into small businesses in low to moderate income areas. Um, and that's how capital is actually distributed uh, to small businesses. Got it. Um, so we address a number of those issues. Um, so we have QuickBooks, for example, in terms of education, financial mm-hmm. roadmap uh, for businesses, for entrepreneurs to learn how to finance a business. So we focus on edu- educating business owners on how to get financing. Then we connect you to those financing. Um, and then we connect to all the other services like incentives. Mm-hmm. If you're opening up a business, uh, our free legal services, um, not only to help you if you're starting a business to help you structure your business properly. But then if you're looking to get a lease, remember when I mm-hmm. talked about the rent to make sure that you get a fair lease. Um, so and my challenge really is awareness, right? And I right. am trying different ways of getting to different communities. So that way they know that, hey, the city of New York is here to actually help them because because of the stereotype, mm-hmm. you assume government is not necessarily there to actually help you, but it's there to penalize you. Um, and, you know, whether it's taxes or whether it's fines and fees, and we are advocating for small businesses. We certainly, you know, the mayor um, has made a commitment um, since 
the first term to reduce the amount of regulatory burden on small businesses mm-hmm. and also to reduce the fines on small businesses. So it's a different world in terms of operating a small business here in New York City. And certainly our job is to focus on underrepresented communities like, you know, Black-owned businesses, like, you know, Hispanic-owned businesses and like women-owned businesses to really uh, connect them to these resources Absolutely. to help them grow. So you talk about it in terms of, you know, NYC, and this is a metropolis there. We do have access to a lot more resources here. Do you think the disparity in capital access is surmountable on a nationwide scale? So it is it. There's a lot of different um, entities. Like, so one of the mm-hmm. things, New York City is the best. So I'm going to start there. Uh, and I'm not biased. There. I'm not biased at all. Uh, but is the best for um, entrepreneurs, uh, mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and for small business growth, uh, partly because we exist. Um, you know, we are one of the few cities that have an agency dedicated to small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, and and a lot of other agents, a lot of other cities, if you speak to them, will tell you they looked at our model and realized they do need to have that dedicated agency to really help businesses. Um, So certainly we have pioneered um, you know, sort of different interventions to help small businesses grow that has spread across the city, mm-hmm. I mean, across the nation. So, for example, you know, our We NYC initiative, um, one of the things Deputy Mayor Alicia Glenn, who worked on this at the very beginning, wanted to do and has accomplished is other cities actually saying, yes, we will create programs for women entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. So Boston has a program because we launched a program. I think London uh, also has a program. Um, you know, San Francisco has a program. Um, so literally, if other municipalities are are seeing that there's a challenge with getting capital uh, to underrepresented communities, they can certainly look at us in terms of how we're doing that, uh, because we purposely go into different neighborhoods. We have a whole take it from my vibe days. Like we have what we call it, you know, chamber on the go, but Mm -hmm. it's a street team. Street team. If you think of the whole how a street team operates, Mm -hmm. literally you walk in, you penetrate um, and you go door to door. Right. We don't throw flyers up on uh, light poles anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We're not allowed to do that. But I'm taking you back now. You are really (laughs) taking me back. I'm just picturing like the club photos. But anyway, you know, exactly. (laughs) But that's the whole way of connecting to different communities. We just recently got a mobile office. um, Really? So I. You know, we've been operating it for a year now. Literally, I have the ability to park up at any part of New York City and provide direct services. Wow. Uh, we have space for like three staff members and a, and a conference room in the vehicle. Um, so we do like a lot of workforce uh, recruiting. We do, um, you know, business services. Um, you know, I was, um, you know, I worked with um, different uh, influencers in different communities to really, you know, make that connection. Um, and what I realized is that that knowledge is the thing that is holding us back. Mm-hmm. And when I say also, I mean, this is like any community that isn't connected to the resources is because of knowledge. It's the lack of awareness that we actually have these free services that's available. Uh, and I, I, you know, I say free, but it's really at no cost, right? right? Because saying free, meaning that you didn't have anything to do with it. If you live in New York City and you pay your taxes, you're actually paying for these services. You're just getting a return funny. on your own investment. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. So, so what we try to do. Um, and what I, one of the things I did coming to the agency was expand our, our marketing and communications team. Um, and my task to them is to make sure that we connect to all the different communities. Um, and that's one of the success that we've had is really, if, for example, if you want to 
penetrate immigrant communities, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to, um, you know, work through organizations that that community trusts. Uh, so some of the things we've been doing um, straight out of the box, you know, um, working with consulates, mm-hmm. right, because they are trusted, um, working with, um, you know, organizations that may not focus on business, but may focus on housing, for example. Well, if you're coming there for help with housing, you, need, you probably need employment. You probably right. are trying to start a business. So here's the resources that that's available from small business services. So you've thrown a lot out there. I have. services, right? <laughs> so if I were an entrepreneur who's young in the journey and listening to all of this, I would be like, this is great, but this is a lot, right? There's legal, there's lease, there's, you know, employment stuff. There's yep. MWBE, there's a mobile office. There's a lot Financing. going on, right? Yeah, yeah. We know the journey is daunting from finance to just bandwidth to cost acquisition for getting at one customer or one client. So if I'm an entrepreneur in the thick of it, where do I start with that SBS? What's the first step to really get plugged into the services? I, I think so. First of all, um, I would start by going online mm-hmm. and taking a look at our resources. Um, so you can go to uh, www.nyc.gov slash SBS. Um, I would always encourage individuals to just, you know, take one of our courses. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're an entrepreneur and I'm not necessarily the one that's married to you have to have a business plan, mm-hmm. right? Um, I know some people are like, you have to have a plan before you do anything. You have to have a plan. And that actually serves as a deterrent from for entrepreneurs because some people, they just don't like writing. But what a business plan does is really help you sort of chart your course, right? And I always, mm-hmm. when I speak in public, I always tell folks, you know, if you have a vehicle and you get into your vehicle, you have a destination. I don't think there's anyone, although one time I I asked someone this and someone did say, yes, I do jump in my car and just drive around without a destination. Which Gas is like, prices are right. too high. I'm not doing that. I'm sorry. Like, you're an exception. <laughs> but usually when you have, a, when you jump into a car, you have a destination. Mm-hmm. When you start a business, you need to know, like, how do you want to like actually end this business? Right. Um, and the path in terms of, do you want to pass this off to you? to the next generation, to your kids, to the family, or do you want to sell that business? Because depending on where, what your end goal is, will mm-hmm. depend on how you actually operate that business. And it will depend on what services you need from us. Um, but certainly, you know, we have a lot of resources in terms of research to help you think through those decisions. Um, and then um, research uh, resources in terms of helping you get the capital that you need to actually help you grow your business. Um, so certainly, you know, the first thing you should do is just contact us and let us figure out how we can help you. Um, if it, it if in, even it's just to give you a roadmap, mm-hmm. um, right? We don't write business plans, but we do review them. So that's definitely something um, that folks who are thinking about starting a business or have started a business should take us up on. Awesome. So I want to go back to MWBE a little bit because I know people are going to hear this and think I'm an entrepreneur of color or I'm, I'm a woman. Like, right. how do I, you know, tap into this? And I know as someone who worked with entrepreneurs, you know, very, a lot of them very early in the process, I would see the difference between minority entrepreneurs and those of the majority in terms of just access to customers. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. oftentimes a white entrepreneur, I'll just say it, would come to me and say, you know, I've got this business. I've got a half million dollars from my family that I've pulled. I'm starting. And then they'd like hit the ground running, right? right? Where they would get out there, their own community served as customers Mm -hmm. or or could connect them with the right people. Mm -hmm. Now you take clients of color often, great ideas, they may have scraped together some money, but then 
don't know how it's to get network. to yeah they don't have the network, the network to, yep. to get in there and yep. actually make money and generate revenue so I wanted to talk about MWBE because I think people really don't understand what that is right. and what it gives you access to so right. if you are MWBE certified how does that help you generate income in your so business? let's take a step back mm-hmm. right so and one of the, the misconception is that you know you if you're MWB, like the, the road to success is actually becoming certified mm-hmm. and you can actually start your business um, and just have private customers mm-hmm. for in New York City. MW certification is sort of an indication that you want to diversify your revenue mm-hmm. sources and actually start contracting for government. And one of the things that I like I clear with people is that, you know, to be certified and one of the requirements is that you have to be in business for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is not sort of like the I'm going to be certified and then I'm going to get, magically start getting all these contracts. Um, one of the things that we have done with the MW program is actually expanded it to provide much more resources. Um, and the mayor has really done a good job in creating more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you are in New York City um, and you are a minority of women business enterprise, um, uh, business enterprise, so that's the MWBE, and you are thinking about diversifying your revenue sources. So you've been doing well in the private sector, but now you want to grow your business. Getting certified is the best way to do that. Because once you are certified, then you have an army of of staff here at SBS mm-hmm. that will now help you with business development. So help help you figure out which agencies is actually procuring, buying your good or service. Um, we have services where if you've never responded to a bid or RFP, we can review it before you submit it. So that way it's not tossed out. Uh, we have not only if you win a contract, you can now borrow up to um, half a million dollars at a 3% interest rate wow. on, on that contract. Um, if you, we have a, a program where we work with, uh, the, you know, the private sector. So if you want to learn how to uh, actually become a vendor for, uh, you know, uh, waste management or, um, you know, Colgate Palmolive or Goldman Sachs, these are all pro, uh, companies that are operating within our corporate alliance program. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can connect you to that. If you have, um, if you want to build up your back end, right, you want to figure out how to like market your team. And as we talked about business development, we have different programs like strategic steps for growth uh, for MWBEs. Um, it's a program we have with NYU uh, where you leave with a three-year growth plan. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunities to actually help grow your business through government contracting. But first things first, you have to make a decision on whether you want to be a contractor for mm-hmm. government um, because it's a whole different ballgame when you're dealing. And that's it's not just with the city, it's with the state, with the federal government. When we buy something, we're very specific um, and we want you to deliver when you say you can deliver. Absolutely. And it's different from the private sector. Uh, so we teach through one of our workshops called Selling to Government. We teach those nuances so that way you can make an educated decision on your business. Um, because you could be successful actually without, mm-hmm. you know, moving on to the government procurement side. But most of the large companies have both tracks, right? They do operate in the private sector and they operate in the government sector. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, what do you say to the entrepreneur who may hear this episode and think, man, I wish I knew all of this before, before I failed, right? Because we know the numbers, very few small businesses or startups actually make it. five years. Right, exactly. So let's say there's an entrepreneur out there who put their all into it. They put their money behind it, blood, sweat, and tears and it didn't work and they're considering doing it again. What do you say to that person who has fear around trying again and putting it all on the line a second time? I say do it again. I mean, literally fear holds you back. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
And for every successful company, if you talk to, you know, the founders, you'll find, you know, a whole trail of failed ideas that went ahead uh, that preceded that success. Um, And certainly every company that I've met, you know, and you talk to the individuals, there have been difficult times. Uh, It comes with the territory, but the reward is so great uh, that I would encourage every entrepreneur uh, to keep pushing forward. You know, if you if you fail, if you fall, just pick yourself up and dust yourself up and just, you know, keep moving. Um, That's a great thing about, you know, New York. That's a great thing about this country um, is that, you know, we the the actual reward is in the failure Mm -hmm. because you learn from failure. If you think of every successful person, the reason why they're successful is because they learn from the mistake Absolutely. of not only the, the mistake that they did, but the mistake of others. I literally, you know, have read different books where CEOs have talked about their failures um, and things that they would have done differently. And that's how I sort of, you learn from the mistake of others. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly, you know, if you want to be successful, do not let fear hold you back uh, because that is, I think, one of the major reasons why people uh, don't accomplish their dreams uh, is because of that fear and that fear of like stepping back in into the ring. Even though you've been knocked out a couple of times, you right. know, just get get back up. Beautiful. And certainly now that they've heard this show, mm-hmm. they know that the city of New York is in their corner and can certainly provide them a lot of resources uh, so that way uh, they don't have to do it on their own. Absolutely. Now, since we're on the subject of mistakes and failures, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because you've shared parts of your personal story. But can you describe a time where you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day? And what I mean by that is a time where disappointment came, failure came, missteps happened, and you have to figure out you had to figure out how to forge ahead despite all of that. You know, uh, wow, that's a great question. Uh, and I could not figure out. The only thing I can think of is when I found out that I did not get into the college mm-hmm. that, I, that, that I wanted to go to. Um, and, you know, one of, one of the things that I'm, I'm part of um, is First Lady uh, Charlene McRae has um, an initiative called Thrive NYC. And, mm-hmm. and um, part of it is Brothers Thrive and really talking about, you know, mental health. And, you know, depression is one of the things that, you know, we talked about and, and literally without realizing, but I was depressed for a period mm-hmm. of time. Um, so that was one time. And of course, you know, I had people around me and encouraged me to like, you know, pick yourself up, figure it out, you know, and get into the school. You'll be fine. And things did work out. Mm -hmm. I think the next time was when I got laid off Um, because you normally, you know, one of the things about being unemployed, which is one of the reasons why we have actually um, and we're getting all our frontline staff at our Workforce One Centers, mm-hmm. which we run to help people find jobs, trained um, with um, the, to be mental health first aid is because when you're unemployed and you're you continuously are looking for an opportunity and you every minute you hear no, 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 no call back, et cetera, right. it's, it could put you in a position where you start questioning whether or not you could actually get a job. And it, and certainly that happened to me. Um, it took me about nine months. Wow. After I got laid off um, to get my next opportunity, uh, which is why I actually decided to go back to school. Um, So part of that was having people around me who were encouraging me. Um, And certainly I realized, well, I couldn't stay home all day and look at law and order, which is what I was doing. (laughs) I had to figure out law and order. (laughs) I know almost all the episodes because (laughs) in 2002, that was my year. I always tell it. I don't call it a wasted year. It was Mm -hmm. a learning opportunity in terms of what happens when, you know, one minute you're like a superstar, the next minute, you know, you're competing with everybody else. Mm -hmm. But 
you don't have that college degree. Right. Right. So that's one of the things that sort of motivated me to like, okay, I need to pick myself up, dust myself off um, and not feel sorry for myself and sort of, all right, how could I take this lemon and turn it into lemonade? And now I have a whole lemonade stand and like fruit punch and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're wholesaling <laughs> lemons to other people to uh, make their own lemonade and you give know, you franchising. You had a lemonade is, you franchise know. model going on. Yeah, but it, 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 it takes a lot of, um, and you know, for the listeners, Sometimes you 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 kind of you don't see that light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I'm thinking about this image where you know it's this person who's digging on the ground, right? And they're digging, they're digging, they're digging because they're trying to get to the other side, and they literally have like a slither of earth to to dig through, and they would have knocked, they would have gone through the other side, and they gave up, right? Mm-hmm. That close. So sometimes you have to just push and you know. Just push yourself one last time. Um, and certainly, you know, uh, there's a lot of assistance out there. And, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, and you're thinking about, you know, giving up, it, there's a lot of help that you can get from us. Yeah. I mean, I am a former volunteer, volunteer <laughs> attorney for SBS. And there's some things that I learned even in this yeah. interview. Yeah. I don't want to keep you too far over time. So we'll we'll start to wrap it up here. But I do want to ask, when you've reached this pinnacle, what keeps you motivated to keep achieving and keep knocking it out of the park? Because many people get to these positions and they coast, right? They have teams under them yeah. who do the grunt work and, you know, they take the photos and they go to the, the great events and the galas, but they're just kind of, you know, on autopilot at this I th- point. I think part of it is that I don't feel that I've reached my pinnacle, nice. right? Mm-hmm. You've got to, you've, you've always, um, you've always got to realize that there's, no matter how successful you are, you can be even more successful. It mm-hmm. might be the West Indian in me. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's definitely. It's the West Indian. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely, you know, um, you know, there's a lot of other things that I want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, um, you know, I, I'm very thankful of where I am. Um, but I think this is just, you know, the stepping stone. Right. Absolutely. This is not I'm not reached my Mount Everest. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm still climbing. And yes, I'm at a peak. But, you know, but realizing that in order to get to the next peak, there might be some valleys ahead. Right. Because sometimes you have to go down to get higher. Right. Mm-hmm. And and whenever I talk to individuals who are going through difficult times, I always say, hey, you're in that valley because you're about something bigger and better is about to happen. You know, so um, so I certainly am very aware of um, what's ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, for me, this is, you know, um, and it's very difficult to this job. Right. As everyone knows, we serve at the pleasure of the mayor. Um, right. So the mayor has won a second term and we are. Uh, well, I am here for, you know, three and a half years and we've got three and a half years to do a lot of work and to make a lot of connections. Uh, but I'm just keeping the seat warm for the next administration and building a strong foundation for the next administration to continue the great work that we are doing here. Um, so that's why it's it's sort of this is not the end. Mm-hmm. You know, This is just the beginning. Understood. And are there any new initiatives on the horizon that you can talk about? that we should look out for? Oh, there's, there's, there's. <laughs> I totally threw that question in there. I know, I'm going I know. for it. No, we, I, I will tell you, um, uh, not to preempt any of our announcements, mm-hmm. um, that uh, we are focused on some of the things that I talked about okay. and, and creating more opportunity uh, to address uh, disparities uh, mm-hmm. for underrepresented communities. Uh, so you're going to see a lot of things that we do to help women entrepreneurs. And we'll continue, you know, uh, focus on building more services there. Uh, I'm focused on uh, technology. 
and sort of disparities in technology as well mm-hmm. uh, in terms of um, different um, in, uh, underrepresented communities um, being represented in, in tech. Um, I'm big on, and the mayor announced, um, you know, Apprentice NYC, which focuses on, you know, creating more apprenticeships. Mm-hmm. So you look out for more apprenticeship type programs in different sectors. Uh, so we recently launched one um, in industrial and manufacturing. Believe it or not, that sector is um, aging out. Wow. Um, so we have, and, and this is a great example of like the work we're doing. We have companies here in, in New York City, uh, Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx, you know, Staten Island, um, even in, in, in Manhattan, who are, are critical uh, in terms of uh, providing, um, you know, goods to like our aerospace mm-hmm. industry, for example. Uh, there's a company in Brooklyn that every single Boeing 777, um, you know, the landing gear component is manufactured in Red Hook, Brooklyn. Wow. Right. They need workers and they actually, all they need is someone who is interested in building a career in that particular industry. Um, and manufacturing is not like, you know, the 70s or 60s where you think it's like, it's all computerized. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we're doing is we're marrying, you know, those industries that need, an, uh, you know, a workforce, um, a new generation of workforce. Uh, and we're finding people like me when I was you know, out of school and sort of building that skill set and literally connecting onto those opportunities. So we're going to do that across a whole bunch of industries. Um, you know, certainly we're going to focus on capital access again. Um, and we do a lot in the different neighborhoods that we work in. So there's going to be a lot uh, that you're going to see. Um, but the focus will be on, you know, immigrant entrepreneurs, well, immigrant community in general, mm-hmm. because we, on the workforce side, you know, there's so much we we talk about. We have programs for underemployed immigrants, right? We know immigrants who come here, you know, if you ever taken a, a, a either, you know, a black car or a yellow cab, you know, you if, know you talk to, if you talk mm-hmm. to those drivers, they were mechanical engineers, they were electrical engineers, they were chemical engineers in their home country. And because of, you know, credentialing, et cetera, in the United States, they have no choice but to drive a, a vehicle. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's figure out ways to get those individuals employed as well. Um, so, you know, focus on immigrant communities, focus on women, uh, focus on, you know, black entrepreneurs, uh, focus on Hispanic entrepreneurs. Uh, you're going to see a lot of that coming out of us in the next three and a half years. Well, I must say the government gets a bad rap, but you're changing perceptions. I'm I, excited. Hopefully I'm doing a good job. I'm looking forward to see what's coming. You mentioned the website. Let's put that out there one more time. So it's nyc.gov slash SBS. And then, of course, um, if folks are just interested in, in me, then I'm just Greg Bishop on Instagram. That's G-R-E-G-G. The I'm two a, Gs. You got to remember the two Gs. Gotta, you know, f- just for the sake of my mom, <laughs> you got to remember the two Gs. Um, and on Twitter, I'm Greg Bishop NYC. There's actually a Greg Bishop on Twitter. He and I joke around all the time. Really? I'm sure he gets some of your messages. He's a director right? outing in California. Mm-hmm. Uh, he directs horror movies. And literally, <laughs> when he's tagged, he's like, no, I think you mean Greg Bishop NYC. That is- Great. I've not been, you know, on the receiving end of his tweets, not as much as he's been on the receiving end of my tweets. Let's hope he has no scandal that happens because no, that could get ugly very quickly. I actually said we should team up and uh, I should be in one of his movies. <laughs> that would be the ultimate. Right. Are you allowed to do that working for the city? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> the lawyer in me just had to ask a question like, is that allowed? In yeah, any event. There's a lot we're not allowed to do. I'm sure. Yeah. But we won't take up any more of your time. Thank you so much, Commissioner. 
congratulations well, thank for you taking so much. time out of your day. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed this. This was informative and inspirational, which is what we always aspire to. Thank you. And to the listeners out there, please be sure to check out NYC SBS online and also Greg Bishop. Follow him if you can. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening you for to the listening December 26 podcast. podcast. I am your host, host Delisha. This, this episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.